Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we're back at the bottom line, and I'm here with my good, dear friend, Jerry Cooney, uh, who I met just a couple of years ago in New York at a charity event, and since then, uh, I don't know, we fell in love instantly. Yeah. Well, we, know you know, we have so much in common. We have so much in common. I never fought. I never got in trouble. I never had a drink. I never did I'm any sure. of those things. But somehow we still have so much in common. <laughs> but um, but I've been, I've been, I haven't read your book yet, right? I'll be honest with you. I don't want to be like those guys on TV and tell you, that. oh, I read the book, and they just read a few excerpts. Uh, I haven't read the book yet. You were kind enough to send it to me. You did forget to sign I'm it. Sorry. Which we will, we will straighten that out later. But... Um, what I'd like to do, if you don't mind, is I really would just like you to sort of take me through, sort of weave me through the book a little bit, right? A little bit about what it was like, what happened to you, Jerry Cooney, and what it's like now. Well, it's really simple. It's, it's a great ending. It's a good story. We all get knocked down in life. Uh, as a kid, I grew up with five brothers and sisters, and my father was a raging alcoholic. And he came home drunk every night, and some days he was happy, most days he wasn't. And he took it out on the kids and, and, and his wife, my mother. And I grew up hiding in the basement. And I, uh, I didn't know how to express myself. I, out of sight, out of mind, I couldn't get hurt. And I sat in the back of the classroom. And boxing was a way to me, for me, what I found out was to help me to express my anger for what was going on at home. And then they put my picture in the paper when I was 16 on the back page of the Daily News almost every week when I fought. And I went, made it to the finals of the Golden Gloves in 1973, and I won the middleweight title. I knocked a guy out in the third round. My brother also, my older brother, who I loved, who I got into boxing because of, he mm. also, you know, went in the Golden Gloves, made it to the finals, and he fought some guy from the Virgin Islands who had a lot of fights, but yeah. in, in, in New York City, he had no fights, so he went into sub-novice, and my brother lost the decision, and he didn't stick with it, and I did. And uh, it found my, express, I got to express myself. I got rid of the anger. Um, I felt mm. like somebody. And, and, I, and I liked how it made me feel. Now, did I like going up those four steps in front of 21,000 people in Madison Square Garden? No. Uh, I didn't think I belonged there. I didn't think I deserved it. But somehow I climbed up those four steps. And I think that was a higher power that got me in there. And, and I fought my ass off. And, and he saved me through the fight game. You know, I work with a lot of kids today, uh, different uh, detention homes and uh, orphanages, and, you know, they didn't have this. They, you know, I, I, I go there and teach them boxing and talk about getting rid of your anger and about having options in life. They don't have any options, and so they think. And so right. boxing is a way to help express that and to maybe make you feel a little more confident to come out and ask the question, listen, can you get me help with this? And that's a great gift right. that, I, that boxing gave me. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's one of the things that I talk to kids about all the time is finding a passion, right? Whatever it is, if you can find a passion, it can help keep you out of trouble, obviously, right? right? right. That was my thing was I wasn't able to, to find a passion, right? 
you talked about your dad and, and his alcoholism and his anger and unhappiness. I grew up the exact same way, right? And sat in the back of the class, did all the things you just talked about, but didn't find something that I could be passionate right. about. So instead, I took a left turn. When you took a right turn, I took a left right. turn, right? And ended up in a whole different place. So well, I tell me a little bit more. Too. Yeah, yeah. But eventually, we ended up in the same right. place, but we took different roads to get there, right? right. Um, and my road consisted of you know, homelessness, prison, et cetera, et cetera. Right. We were both suffering from the same thing, right. the same brokenness, mm -hmm. the same sadness, the same lack of joy, right? right? And this thing, this bad wiring that we have, right? right? And, uh, and we did, thank God, end up in the same place, right. right? Today we end up here. We get to have this conversation. Same same problem, same disease, same sort of right. upbringing. Um, same life, but, same life. You know, we, we're all the yeah. same. I found that I'm a little grain of sand, just one. I'm not all that. I'm a one grain of sand. Listen, I go to the, see the kids, and the kids want to be basketball players. They want to be baseball players. So that's fine. But if you can't make it, most likely you're not going to make it. You have to have right. something to fall back on. Stay in school. Ask them for help here. What you want to do? What do you feel like doing? Get some experience. Right. So try and move them along right. that way. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, is uh, you know, for me, I found a little thing when I was a kid. Uh, I was a, a diver, a swimmer. I hung out at the Y and uh, I went to this competition and won uh, a summer of a diving school with an Olympic diver at Boston University. But I, and I was only probably about 11 years wow. old, right? But I think what happened was is I was already beyond mm -hmm. that point. And I, and I also feel like there was not really a lot of support. People weren't coming to watch me dive. My dad never went to anything I did, right? I get the feeling that he was a boxing fan. He pushed you into boxing, so he was there. That was He was living vicariously right. through you. I didn't have that, right? So, um, you know, it was at a certain point, I lost interest because nobody else took interest. Right. And so I was getting high on the way to diving school. Right. Right. I was looking for trouble on the way to diving school. Right. I was going to this neighborhood. Boston University was like a million miles away from the hood I grew up in, you know. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think when you talk about having boxing and having that and, and it sounded like in the beginning it wasn't love with boxing. But when you started to get noticed. It started to well, become. Well, I mean, I don't think anybody something. wants to get in the ring and fight with somebody. I mean, sure. I mean, you, you know, you, you you signed to fight Larry Holmes. I, for three months, I'm training. All I'm thinking about is fighting Larry Holmes. Is that what I want to do with my life? <laughs> no. I, you know, I mean, but it was my way. It was, it was my avenue. It was my uh, peaceful. Like, I started, my first drink was at 12 years old. And I got so sick that night drinking, but I remembered that 10 or 15 minutes when that big hold I carried around all my life went away. Yep. I felt funny, yeah. I fit in, people liked me. And that was the curse for me, that that first time I drank that, that happened to me. Because I forgot about getting sick, but I remembered about the joy of it. Right. And that's what I tell people, right. that we all experience that. And people that are alcoholic, they're going to go with that. They're going to hold on to that. Right. And uh, unless we get help. And right. you know, we need to get help. So, so you're fighting, you fought, you had 31 professional fights? 31 professional fights. 31 professional fights, 28 wins. Uh, you knocked out 24 people. Right. Wow. So you had, you had hands. No, listen, I, listen. <clears throat> the night I knocked out Kenny Norton in 54 seconds in the first round, 
I could have beaten anybody that night. I was such in shape. I was taking care of myself. I was clean. I had nothing. I could have beat anybody in the world that night. But that was the night that I had the old high school girlfriend who got some some powdered uh, stuff, and I drank yeah. more, and and then I started to train and drinking and and messing around with recreational drugs for the biggest fight of my life, when I really right. needed someone to grab me by the arm and say, "Come on, Cooney, this is important. Stick with this." Right. But I lost my way, and who knows? Maybe I'd be dead today had I won the title that night. But it, it happened the way it happened, and uh, and I survived it. I respect. I had a respectable outcome in the fight. I got stopped in the thirteenth round, and I was so many people. You can't go the distance or this and that. And I, wow. I was trying to go the distance that night instead of just fighting. But aside from that, I was drinking and not taking care of myself. Listen, if I got a race car and I don't change the oil and don't put the gas in, it's not going to run right. And that's right. what I found out later on. But while you're in it, you think you can get away with it. I can handle this. Uh, and what? What about the, so the people around you, right? The people that are, you know, managing your career, that are looking, supposedly looking out for you, right. right? What are they saying about all this? Is it more important for them to keep sort of being able to eat off your hard work well, than, than speak up and say, hey, listen, you're, you're traveling down a road that there's no coming back from. You know, Jimmy, my two managers didn't like each other. So I always felt like I was in the middle and uh, I was sick and tired of it. And my trainer yeah. didn't know what I was doing. I mean, I was pretty clean hiding i suppose i don't know right although he did train me very hard for the Holmes fight and as a matter of fact someone some ways i think i was overtrained for the fight because that was his way of making up for my not taking care of myself sure but right. whatever the case is you know listen we all make mistakes we get knocked on our backs but we have to get up dust off our pants and move on and we've been blessed to be able to do that i have 31 and Absolutely. a half years uh, april 21st, 1988 was the last time I had a drink. So that's a miracle. And uh, Take me back, take me back, Jerry. Take me back to the end, right? So it's April of 1988, right? And where are you? What's going on in your life? What is it that, to, that makes you say, I can't do this anymore. I can't take this anymore. I got to do something about it. Well, it this. just stopped. I mean, I, I woke up one day in this beautiful house in East Hampton, my home out there, by myself, and I thought to myself, hung over, and said, what happened to you? What the hell is mm. going on with you? And I quit that day. And went about my day. The next day I woke up at 20 minutes to 11, feeling the same way. And I got mm. scared at that moment. And I, it was the first time I really, this is a crazy story to tell you. I cried out to God and said, please, God, help me. And the desire to drink went away that moment. And I turned on the television, and the weirdest thing was, it happened to be Alcohol Awareness Week in the Hamptons, I swear to you. And the television wow. was on. George <laughs> Benedict was telling the story about some drunk. Oh, that's amazing. And I identified yeah. with it so much. I called him, and I went down to see him. Wow. And, uh, and that was the start for me. And I started going to wow. meetings, and uh, you know, I talked about that one grain of sand. I did drink again after five months. Someone told me I would. Right. Yep. And uh, I told them they were crazy, and I went out for drinking for two more months. And it was the best thing mm. that happened to me because I realized this is bigger than me, and I right. need help, and I have to open myself up to looking at me. You know, Irish right. people, I'm sure all people, 
don't like looking right. at themselves. Sure. But I had to do it, and I made a commitment to do it. I said, I'm going to do this for six months. Everything they ask me to do, if it doesn't work, I'm out. And I got it. And here it is, 31 years And I'm later. helping people every day. And I love my life. I got a great family. You've never seen me drink. I got three mm. great kids, a beautiful wife. Um, and uh, and it's, it's a miracle. Look, I'm here sitting with you. We were down in Wall Street. You know, you, know, you see me in Wall Street for a lot of years. I love that. Because yeah. I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm close with all those people. Yeah, and, and you can see, you know, a lot of people... Um, so, you know, like I've been sober for the same amount of time as you. I know we joke around, right? That my, my anniversary is in May, yours in April, same year, right? It's not the same um, time, but, my friend. It's not the same time. Come on. I actually, I actually, St. Patty's Day was actually my wow, sobriety day. But it's a story, it's a story that I can't tell you here, uh, cause it's a little graphic, but anyways, you know, a lot of those years, I was on the outside. Things looked great. Right. You know, I had a nice home. I had a beautiful family. I also have three children who have never seen me, never seen me drink. Um, but to be honest with you, I, I think they certainly have seen me suffer from alcoholism, right. right? Because there have been times in the process where I've been willing to do the work and willing to work on the relationship with God and to grow spiritually. And then there were times where I thought I could just coast, right? Like everything's better than it used to right. be. Look at me. I look great. Right. And when I did that, the people around me suffered, right. you know? It wasn't until I made the commitment that uh, I felt like, I don't know, maybe that people weren't being honest with me because they were all talking about how happy they were in this great relationship that they had with God. And I was like, why don't I have that? What are they talking about? I'm doing what they're doing, or at least I thought I was doing what they right. were doing. But I wasn't, and I wasn't putting the effort in to have that spiritual connection. And, uh, and I know before we got started, we talked a little bit about um, spirituality and religion. And uh, I know that you were, you were raised Catholic and that you're still a very uh, practicing Catholic, as am I. Tell me a little bit about that part of your life and how it plays into your recovery. All right, I want to tell you, before I do that, you talked about as uh, long as I look good. When I was a kid, I remember I had my hair combed. I had these penny loafers that were that the, the string was out. So I took my mother's sewing string and I put them through the yep. holes because I had to go to the city and I wanted to wear those shoes because I looked good. Sure. And when I got right. to the city, the string broke. Mm. And I had to walk around holding my thing all day. You know, my father was slapping me around and uh, and that was my deal. As long as I look good and the day I look good, I feel great, my penny loafers go out and the string rips out and I'll get screwed. I, I want to just jump in and just say that, you know, for me, it was other people's opinions of me right. was always so much more important than my own opinion of me. My opinion of me was low. Right. That was right. it, right? But if I could create a reason for somebody to sure. like me, I was such a people pleaser. And you talk about wanting to look good for other people, right? right? So that they'll like us, so right. they'll accept right. us. It's such a sad way to live. Um, Jimmy, listen, I, have, I grew up with five brothers and sisters, and um, I became the athlete. I became the guy. And everywhere my brothers and sisters went, they said, they didn't say, hey, Tommy, Hey, Michael. Hey, Stevie. Hey, Eileen, how you doing? They said, how's Jerry? How's Jerry? How's yeah. Jerry? And then growing up in the household that we grew up in, 
They didn't want to hear that anymore. Yeah, of course not. Yeah. And so I had to combat that as well. That wasn't my fault, but right. I felt guilty for it. Sure. And that was a issues that we had to work through in our lives. And um, so I don't know if that answers your question. It, you know, it's uh, listen, life is hands us crazy stuff, and we have to work through it. And without God, for me, you know, when I'm in my head, I'm talking to a crazy person. When I'm when right. I when I pray <laughs> it away. I'm right. in the right place, and I want, I'm right yeah. where I want to be. I want to help people every day, all day long. I'm not as upset. I love my wife more. I'm not looking to fight with anybody. And so, listen, this is what we got. I'm very blessed to have been who I am, where I've gone, and what I'm doing right. now. Listen, I'm, I, got the, I told you a story, Jimmy. We're on TV right now, but I got that radio face. No more yeah. TV, <laughs> just a radio face. And I'm on Sirius XM. Every Monday, every yeah. Friday from 6 to 8 p.m. on Channel 153, talking about what I love, boxing. Right. How do you beat that? Yeah, that's a beautiful thing. It's a you gift. know, the gift, of, the gift of recovery, right. right? It's a gift that keeps giving, right? right? As long as we put the effort As long effort as we keep working it, it. Right? You got to work it. I've, so many times I, I would do the work, do the work, do the work, and then get to what I would consider the Peace. desired shore of faith, right? Like, And I'd look around and go... Yeah. What a great job I've done. And as soon as I start trying to give myself credit for it's any over. of it, it's God over. Says, God you know? says, oh, yes, my son. Well, here's a yeah. story. Oh, yeah. Here's a story. <laughs> guys, the guy's in the boat with God, and God was steering, and the guy was rowing. God was steering, and the guy was rowing. And the guy got tired, said, hey, God, can I steer? And God said, yes, you can, my son, but I don't row. <laughs> we have to do the work. We have to do the and work. It's, it's, we have it's, to do it's the work. ongoing. And I feel very sad because I run into a lot of people who can't get that. They don't want to look. Right. They avoid it. Right. And they wind up going back out again. And that's just yeah. worse than death. You know, the thing about we end up, so, you know, we go through this life process, right, of, you know, you were very successful. Um, but you look around at the people you grew up with, right, and they're, you know, they're doctors, lawyers, whatever they are, construction workers, they're happy people, they're living their lives. And for me, it was always about, I'm not where I right. should have been because I wasted all, it all this time. So for some yeah. way, we're going to have that all our lives unless we keep treating it. Right. But now today, I thank God. Well, yeah, every day. For, for my alcoholism. I thank God for the pain and the suffering because it, it, it put me to, it beat me into a state of reasonableness. Right. It beat me into a state of being willing to grow, to do the work to grow. Right. To right? So now I don't need to look around to see other people and where they're at and what they're doing. I'm happy really for the first time, right where my feet are. Yeah, and, I'm, and I'm happy right? for them too. And I'm yeah, able to be ab not resentful happy for those people too. And to be of service. Right. right? So, you, you know, when you end up, you, you get sober, and there's an attractiveness to that, right? People look at you, they see you, and you immediately become the resident expert on all things addiction, right. right? So if somebody's having a problem, because of the way we carry ourselves, the way we are so service-oriented, people say, oh, man, my, my son or my wife or my brother's having a problem. I know who I got to call, right? right? right. I got to call Jerry. I got to call Jimmy. I got to call. And I, I, I've had relatives that I barely know right. reach out to me. I've had relatives that I've done really bad things to in my lifetime. 
that I might have taken something that belonged to them or went to a party at the house and caused such a ruckus that the cops came and shut the thing down or whatever. Um, but now they look at me a very different right, way. In time, right? in time, that happens. Yeah, in time. Yeah, man. I mean, a day at a time. The one thing that I can say is, so in 31 years, the most important thing I've learned is, what am I doing today? Right. It's all about today. It's all about my spiritual condition today. I can't coast. You know, I talked about brushing off my shoulders, right? And look at, trying to live off yesterday's sobriety, right? right? I can't afford to do that. And, uh, you know, the other thing for me was that, you know, I think, I guess I was grateful when I first, when I first came to, to start to go to meetings and stuff, I was in state prison and, um, and I was given permission to create my own conception of God, right? right? Which now, when I think about it, is the craziest thing in the world, right? For me, to, if I thought today I'm going to create my own conception of God, it would be a nightmare for me because I would create, the, the God I would create would be a pool hustler, right? <laughs> I was blessed to be able to be led back to the faith of my childhood, to the God right. of my childhood, right. to, the, to the God that I, that I believed in as a little boy, although I felt very distant, right? I, I felt, you know, I was brought up like you were brought up. God's going to get you. Right. You're going to go to hell. You're going to like all these things when I wasn't really introduced to an all loving, right, all caring right. God. Right. I wasn't, nobody ever told me that it sat down and explained to me that he died for me. He gave it all up who, for who me. Who forgives us. Who forgives oh. us once. It doesn't come back again. We relive it over oh. and over again. But when we ask for forgiveness, it's forgiven. It's he's forgotten about it. Hmm. Absolutely. So listen, I know that you generally don't like to talk about all the good things that you do for other people, right? Because uh, you're a humble guy. And, and that's one of the things that's <clears throat> so attractive uh, about you to me. Um, but I know you do a lot with kids. And I'd love to talk a little bit about that, right? Because it's kind of how it's, it's how we met, right? We met at a charity event. Uh, and we met in service right. to mm -hmm. others, right? Tell me a little bit more about the stuff that you're doing um, with kids and, and, and how it impacts well, you. I mean, sometimes it's, it can be a little selfish on my part because when I was a kid, I didn't have that. So right. today, when I get to see a kid smile or, you know, uh, like my wife, we take care of, we have 10 kids we get presents for every year. Right. Um, to see the smile, to... To make them feel at ease, to make them feel, teach them through boxing, make them comfortable with being coming better. What they do, what I'm teaching them. Right. There's no, there's nothing to put on that, and it's not like I'm doing anything special. We're supposed to do that where I come from. Mm. Like I, I didn't right. have somebody to grab me by the arm. I want the opportunity sometime in my life to grab a fighter and say, "Okay, kid, now this is important. Stick with me for a while. Let's take it to the top." I didn't have that. And I have accepted that, and I've, um, I'm finally feeling way better about who I was as a fighter. I was better than I give myself credit for because of my not taking care of myself. But I, I didn't have the right teacher. I didn't, I didn't have that opportunity. I want to be the teacher for that person to give them the place where they got to go. It's a great feeling. It's the greatest thing in the world. And we... Plus, mm. not just that, but we get to hang around with guys like you and, and all the different celebrities, and we tell stories, and we catch up with what's going on in the past, what it was like, and, uh, mm. and, and share that with other people. 
I got great stories. Right. I mean, I was with Tony Danza with you the other day. I mean, he used to come to my gym. Someone came along, saw him, and said, "Come on, let's get out of here." And he became uh, he came on da- taxi. Huge star, yeah, Huge star, yeah. And he's a great guy. And uh, so yeah. those kinds of things. I mean, all the baseball players, the football players. I mean, I was just with Marty Lyons yesterday at a police, New York City Police Department luncheon, Christmas luncheon. 700, 800 people, and I got to listen to some of Marty's Lion's story I had never heard before, and I know him all my life. So right. it's a it's a give it's a win win situation. And right, you know we 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 met at the CIBC Miracle yes. Day, um, great, which is on the trading floor, which is a fantastic event, and we've been blessed to be a part of it now for about five years. Um, but I'll, we had forty five celebrities come out. All these are all people just giving of their time, all there representing. Right. A charity. Right. Um, but on the Tuesday night before the event, I got to spend some time with your friend, Larry Holmes, and his wife, Diane. Don't bring him up. And Don't let me, bring him up, will you? Don't bring his let name up. Let me just up. tell you something. Let me just tell you something. I mentioned your name and said that you are my friend, right? You definitely have a bunch of missed calls from Larry that yeah. night because he just pulled up. He goes, I'm going to see you. He's, he's, he's my brother. I'm going to call him right now and see if you really know him and you we're, like, he was really playing friends. around with we're me. And, friends, but what a, what a, what a wonderful yeah. man. It, what a wonderful yeah. story he has. What a wonderful marriage he has. And buddy, I got to tell you, man, it's wonderful for, for us to live these great lives.